and a proponent of righteousness and a counterbalance to the precious doctrine of salvation by faith, which he preached salvation unto good works, saved by grace, saved unto good works. James chapter 5, verse number 15 says, And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Verse 16, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Verse 15, the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. The New Living Translation says the prayer offered in faith. And then the end of verse 16 says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman. This is the neuter availeth much. Matthew 21 and verse 22 Matthew chapter 21, verse number 22. The words of Jesus Christ regarding the power of prayer. Matthew 21, verse 22 says, And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. All things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, comma, believing, comma, ye shall receive. James 5.16, it said, effectual and fervent prayers make things happen. What makes prayers effectual? What makes prayer effective is faith. When you believe as you are praying, it makes prayers effective. What makes prayers fervent is that there is a passion and a drive and a consistency, and an unwillingness to give up. Amen? Unwillingness to give up that produces fervency in prayer. And I want to uh, preach just for a few moments. The Lord has laid on my heart this week about the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith. Hallelujah. Jesus, we thank you for being so good to us, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, for your great blessings, Lord, and your mercy the way that you've been so kind to each of us. Lord, help us, dear God, to get a hold of something special today that can transform our lives for eternity, Lord God. I know that there's somebody in this house today, God, you revealed to me that there's somebody in this house today that this word from you is going to change their life forever. We're talking about eternal things here, Lord. And I know, God, what you've laid on my heart, and I know what you desire to accomplish in this place today. I pray that you'd help me to get out of the way, Lord God, and let your spirit speak, Lord God. Let your word penetrate the hearts, dear God, and bring about hope and healing, Lord Jesus. We ask all of these things in your precious name, the name that's above every name. Hallelujah. And if you believe God's going to answer our prayer, just lift your hands one more time and thank him before you're seated for answered prayer.
God bless you, and you may be seated. Now, I would say probably without exception in the house today, we all know something about prayer. We've heard teaching about prayer. We've heard preaching about prayer. We've read about prayer in our Bibles, and we've observed people who are effective in prayer. I think I can also say without exception that in the house today, all of us believe we should be doing more of it, that it would be in our best interest that we would be better off if we prayed more. If you agree with me, say amen. I know that uh, personally that there are seasons in my life in the past, it has seemed, that I get motivated about prayer, that I come to grips with how important that it is to me, and I get more involved in it, and I find it more systematically occurring in my life. But then through the course of time, the cares of life, the distractions that come along, I get distracted from my focus, and I lose my motivation, and I find myself not praying anymore. Now we've heard that we should pray. We've been told that prayer works. Yet many of us don't practice prayer any more than maybe praying for our meals before we eat or when we come to church in the weekend or on Wednesday night. In the meantime, deep down inside of each of us, I believe there is a hunger. There is a longing for intimacy and closeness and familiarity with our God. There's a desire down inside of me and no doubt in many of you to let my will, to let my desires to become one with God's will and one with his desires. Amen. That I would want what he wants. Uh, amen. And I would desire what he desires. Uh, there is that hunger down inside of many of us to find that secret place of trusting God and walking with him on a daily basis becoming familiar with our God. I read a story, a story about in China, in uh, ancient times, a certain area, there were villages that placed a premium value on the stone called jade, this beautiful stone. And uh, there were men that were experts, elders in the community, and there would be one who would be kind of the top dog who knew jade and how to carve it, how to recognize it, how to deal with it better than anyone else. And uh, during this time, the story is told of a young boy who came to the jade master in his community and said, I want to begin to learn the trade. I want to learn the art. I want to work with jade. And so the great master said, sure, I'd, I'd be willing to teach you. Show up at my house tomorrow here at the shop early in the morning and we'll get started. The young boy showed up and when he arrived ready and excited, anxious to find out how to work with Jade, how to carve it, how to be creative and use his artistic ability and to finesse this stone into the beautiful creations that this area was so famous for during this time. And when he arrived, much to his surprise, the great master simply handed him a small piece of rock, a stone, 
of jade said go put that in your hand and hold it and sit over there in the corner and so the young boy did just that he took the stone and he sat in the corner holding it playing with it moving it from hand to hand and uh, he expected maybe this would last 10 or 15 minutes after he'd been there for four or five hours and the master said you can go home now he had done nothing but hold the jade in his hands came back the next day same time expecting to learn a little more but what did the jade master do but put another stone in his hand and say go sit there in the corner and hold this for me well to shorten the story i want to let you know that this went on for day after day after day next thing he knew three weeks had passed and this frustrated young apprentice was wondering what is going on here has the master lost his mind all i'm doing is handling this stuff i'm not learning how to carve it i'm not learning anything about it i'm just holding it and so he got up the nerve and walked up to the to the jade master and said when am i going to start learning about jade all you've been having me do is handle it he said come tomorrow and we'll begin our lessons so with an anxious anticipation he came after three weeks of doing nothing but hold jade in his hand appeared there before the jade master in the morning said what are we going to do today the jade master much to the <laughs> disappointment of this young man simply handed him another stone of jade he said what what's going on but as soon as the jade touched the hands of this young man he stepped back and dropped it and said, that's not Jade. That's something else. See, because he had handled it and become so familiar with it that he could recognize it. And he did not realize that he was learning. He was finding out what it meant to know what Jade was. And the same is true with the presence of the Lord. The same is true with our God. We do not know him just by studying him. We do, come on now, we do not know him just by attending church and by reading uh, uh, things and discovering more about him. But the way that we get to know our God in an intimate and a close fashion is to handle him and to be close to him and to spend time with him. There's something inside of me and no doubt in you as well that says that's the kind of relationship I want with God. Not just a Sunday come to meeting type of a relationship. Uh, not just the fact that I know about him, but I want to be familiar and intimate with him that I can recognize his presence, that I can be sensitive to his move, that I can know what he wants for me and what he wants to do in my life. Amen. Amen. And this intimacy and knowing comes through familiarity and spending time in the presence of God. And many of us recognize that this can only happen through prayer. But our days are busy. We have so much to do. And the world which we live in today has plenty of opportunities for distractions and entertainment. I know, um, Brother Chet, when you were growing up, they didn't even have video games, did they? They didn't have cell phones. They didn't have text messaging. They didn't have MySpace.com, did they? They didn't have uh, uh, email. They, they didn't have uh, FoxNews.com, did they? They, they didn't have any of these things. Distractions. These are 
things that are developments in our generation that take up our time and distract from our focus, email, cell phones, and text messaging, and all the different iPods and all of these things that create static and noise and distraction. And in the process, the discipline and the practice of prayer is left behind. We're working more hours, striving to achieve more things, piling on more debt and finding ourselves in more stress uh, and being less energized to draw close to God and to spend time in the presence of the Lord. And as it is with any other practice, when we lose the urgency and the sense of purpose behind prayer, we tend to abandon it. And then all of a sudden the thought hits us, oh, I should be doing this. I should be practicing prayer in my life. We all agree that prayer is powerful. We all agree that prayer is important. The question today and the tension in the air is, why does it get neglected in the life of a believer why does it get neglected in my life why does it find itself down the list of priorities why is there this tension between what i should be doing and what actually gets done in my life amen i mean think about it think about what prayer means to you think about what prayer means to your future you will never become what you could become without prayer and i can never become what i could become without prayer My future success depends on learning the practice and the discipline of prayer. My happiness and wholeness in life depends upon how well I practice prayer. My anointing that gives me power to be used of God is dependent upon my prayer. My sense of well-being and fulfillment and purpose in life, essentially my true joy is dependent on me learning how to spend time getting familiar and getting close and in intimate with my God on a daily basis even my fulfillment in relationships not just my relationship with God but my relationships with others is dependent on whether or not I keep prayer in the rightful place in my life all of these things are waiting for me to do this thing why am I not pursuing intimacy why am I not pursuing oneness with God on a daily basis this is the problem this is the issue This is the issue with the church. This is the issue with Christianity. Prayer is fundamental to our relationship with God. Prayer is fundamental to us doing what we do here at Life Church. Prayer is fundamental to us seeing the vision accomplished that the Lord has put into our spirit. And there is no substitute for fundamentals. I believe the Olympic basketball team won the gold medal yesterday or this morning. Last time in the Olympics four years ago, even though they had a team that was filled with talent and flash they lost the Olympics because they let go of the fundamentals and I promise you Life Church there is no substitute for the fundamentals there is nothing that can take the place of prayer we can practice our worship courses we can get everything together just like we want it we can try to put our sermons together finally craft them and put an edge on them and try to create an atmosphere we can even use moving lights and fog and all of these things to all people with the atmosphere but there is no substitute for the fundamentals and the fundamental for us to move beyond where we are life churches we will move forward but we only move forward on our knees pastor brown you will only move forward on your knees saints of god let me tell you those of you that would aspire to have a ministry ordained of god you will only move forward as you draw closer to him 
I sense this. I know this. You and I know this. Why does prayer get put on the back burner? Why does everything else seem to crowd it out? Why is it so easily crowded out of our lives? See, the Apostle Paul said it this way. Brother Donnie mentioned it in his Sunday school lesson. Paul said, the good that I would, I do not. Romans chapter 7, verse number 15. It says, the good that I would, or the things that I want to do, the things that I know that I should do, I end up not doing it. In the New Living Translation, it says it this way. I don't really understand myself. For what? For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. The good that I would, I do not. Uh, And he says, because in my members, in my body, there is a law of sin that is reigning there. And so I know what to do in my mind. I know in my spirit what to do. But when it comes down to executing and accomplish what I know I should do, I end up not doing it. And it's a source of frustration. And so much so that the Apostle Paul describes it this way. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this? dead body so that I can serve the Lord I know prayer is right I know it will draw me close to God amen but I I not only know about prayer you and I not only know about prayer but ultimately we desire it as well it's not like some we're sitting here saying I know prayer is good but I don't want anything to do with it down deep inside there's a hunger for that intimacy there is a pull there is an opening inside of us that's saying come on fill me up god put it there this prayer ultimately is a gift from god that stirs and moves human beings to cry out to a living god and we desire it we want to know him so well that his thoughts are meshed into our thoughts We want our thoughts to be conformed to his thoughts and for us to see things the way that he sees them. Amen. That only happens through handling his presence. That only happens through familiarity. Amen. I want to be so close to God that when one of his thoughts just brushes the surface of my spirit, I react immediately in obedience and submission. Amen. And so he leads me. And so I walk with him. So my steps are ordered of the Lord. So my decisions are made in the context of the spirits directing but when I'm not praying and when I'm not familiar and when I'm not close to God he cannot speak through me and to me he cannot order and direct my steps I cannot recognize or pick up the signal of his spirit calling because of unfamiliarity amen because I'm not close to him any longer because I'm doing my thing still professing to be his child but I've wandered off path I know you feel the way that I do Amen. I know you feel that way. I know I feel that way. We want it. But the little bit of tension that you feel in the room right now is there because so few of us actually are doing it. The good that I should, I'm not doing. I want to do good, but I don't do it. There's a law of sin in my members that keeps me from pursuing the thing that will best benefit and more greatly impact my life than anything else. That old nasty flesh, that old nasty flesh that wants me distracted and doing and focused on anything on anything but the kingdom of God and the spirit of God and the presence of the Lord. And you may be frustrated today. That's what I'm talking about. There's tension in the room. You started out 08 so strong. After the prayer and fasting chain, you felt in tune with God. You were seeing miracles in your life. You saw yourself making spiritual progress. You saw your faith growing. And you may be wondering today, 
today, where did I lose my resolve to pray? Why did I take prayer, which had become a central part of my life, and begin to relegate it to something I do at church or before my meals? What happened to that closeness that I felt with the Spirit of the Lord? I'm preaching to somebody today. Amen? And I think the reason is... And I'm going to talk to you today, and I believe God's going to make a strong adjustment in our thinking this afternoon. I think the reason is, is that we lose touch with the why behind our prayer. We forget what we once understood, and that is the context for our prayer. Why we are praying. I'm going to get real with you. We're going to be open and transparent here today because we've got to deal with something. We've got a problem here. We know this is what we need to do and we're not doing. What's the... Why is it not happening? Let's get real. We got to, I think it has to do with our thinking. I think there's some misconceptions that are settled into our brains and into our spirits that we need to address and deal with today so we can get back on the right path. Are you cool with that? We need to deal with this misconception and whether we realize it or not, and maybe you've never thought of it specifically this way as far as putting it into a, a scheduled thought or even probably haven't voiced it, but let's get real. Whether we voiced it or even consciously thought of it, I believe this is the line of reasoning that gets in our heads at times that causes us not to pray, that causes us to let it be pushed out of the priority place that it should be. Here's what I feel. Here's the line of reasoning, okay? God knows what I need. God knows where I need to go. God ultimately knows what needs to happen. After all, I'm his child. He wants the best for me. Any, anybody believe this? He wants the best for me. His will is going to be done in my life. After all, he's in charge. And so with this line of reasoning that has truth to it, God knows what I need. How many believe God knows what you need? God knows what you need before you ask, right? That's what the Bible says. God knows where you need to go. God knows what needs to happen in your life. You are a child of God. You are his favorite. He loves you. He wants the best for you. Amen. Praise God. God is in charge. But the next logical step in our minds is prayer is good. Prayer is edifying, but I don't need to pray. Because beyond making me more conscious of God, where is the real need for prayer? God loves me. He knows me. chose me. He filled me with his spirit. I'm his child. And so his will is subtly being done in my life anyway. Come on, hopefully I'm not over your head here, but I think this is, I think this is the core of what, what I struggle with. And I think maybe some of you struggle with this as well. Hey, God, God's in, in control. God loves me and he has my life in his hands. Look at where he's ordered my steps in the past. And so his will is ultimately going to be done because he's in charge. So where is, other than me just becoming more familiar with God, where is the real need for prayer? And I've come to deal with this today from the word of God. I've come to deal with this misconception from the word of God. I'm telling you, I believe this is why many of us fall off the wagon. We lose the context for prayer and justify our prayerlessness because we're still saved. We're still making it. 
we're still living for God and we can even see God's hand at work at times in our life. And we lose the purpose and the urgency of prayer and other things begin to take its place. But let's find out what the Word of God has to say about this. Let's find out what the Word of God has to say about this issue because the Lord settled something in my spirit this week that had not been settled before and it happened through the Word of God. Let me first of all start out by saying this. We believe that God owns everything. You've got to follow me right now. Follow me closely. How many of you believe that God owns everything? The Bible says, and we sing it, all of the earth is his and the fullness thereof. And you hear it preached, why should you be discouraged? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Everything belongs to him ultimately. Do you agree with that? And can you say amen? This is true. This is the word of God. But we need to look at this issue just a little deeper, just a little further. Bring up Psalms chapter 115, verse 16. Psalms 115, verse 16. What does it say? It says, the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. The earth hath he given to human beings. The earth has he given to you and to me. Now understand, You can't give something that you don't have. All of the earth is his. But the word of God here gives us a little insight that he has given or lent or given human beings stewardship of this physical realm, which we call the earth. Look at Job chapter 9, verse 24. Job chapter 9, verse 24. The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covereth the faces of the judges thereof. If not where and who is he? Amen. The Bible is saying here in the book of Job that the earth is turned over to human beings and human beings are given stewardship and control in the earth. Amen. In Genesis chapter number two, the Bible says that God put man into the garden to keep it and to till it. Stay with me. I'm going somewhere here. God gave him stewardship to take care of the garden. He said, this is yours now. Take care of it. And then in this domain called the earth, God caused the animals to pass before Adam. And Adam decided what the animals' names would be, not God. Why? Because he had given the earth to the man. He had given him, the Bible refers to his dominion, given him stewardship and control. And so the Bible says, whatever Adam called the animal, that was his name. God didn't name the animals because he had given the earth, given the garden, given the world into the hands of man. And the concept is dominion or domain. The point is, everything is God's, but he has given or leased or rented or released the earth to humanity. Are you with me right now? It's his. He owns it. But he has released rights of domain to you and me. And what does all this mean? See, what God gives stays given. The Bible says the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. He doesn't take it back. Anybody ever heard before? If God is a sovereign God and in charge of everything, (laughs) why is there so much heartache and pain and suffering and 
and famine and mistreatment on the earth today. That's because God turned it over to the hands of human beings. Well, they're mistreating, they're mistreating my property. Well, you leased it to them. You put it into their hands. See, there's something in the United States called the law of domain. And that means that as a landlord, you relinquish rights of passage when you lease property to a renter. And although the real estate still belongs to you, you can no longer come and go as you please. Because you have agreed to abide by certain guidelines for legal access. Amen. The church owns this house over here. We've leased it out. Guess what? If I want to go in there and get something out of the fridge, I can't do it anymore. But you're the pastor and we own this house. You know what? We agreed to lease that property and we released the rights of pastors. We agreed to submit to the legal obligations because that's their domain. Now it's not my domain or your domain any longer. Does everybody understand the, the meaning here behind this is that the earth is the Lord's, but he's turned it over to you and I. And people say, why doesn't God intervene? Because God hadn't been asked. Why doesn't God get involved? See, God is a God of law. You know, the cool thing about God is if he, choose, if he chose not to, he wouldn't have to obey the law. I mean, who's going to, like, take him in? Who's going to put him in the clinker? Who's going to hold him accountable? I mean, as far as I can figure, he's the top dog, right? But he is a God of law. He is a God that is submitted to laws. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross. Amen? Because sin demanded bloodshed. And it required the spotless lamb, the son of God. God had to give everything because he's a God of law. Amen. And he's not going to force his way in somewhere, even though it's his earth, even though he created it. He gave it over to you and to me. Look at what the Lord's prayer says in Matthew chapter six, verse nine. I think some of you are fixing to get it right now. They said, Jesus, how should we pray? Teach us to pray. You're a good prayer. Show us how to do it. We want to be like you. And we want to have power in our prayer. Jesus said, pray this way. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Next verse. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Think about what that means right now. Jesus says, I want you to say, I want you to speak it from your mouth and say, God, your will that is already done in heaven, we want it to be done in the earth. The reason is God's will isn't done on the earth until people release God's will through prayer by giving him permission and making requests of God and saying, God, I want your will done in my life today. See, God intends to do good in your life. God has good intentions for your future. God has good intentions for your family, for your career and for your ministry, but he will not work on your behalf. He won't pass through your domain until you say, God, this morning, this day is your day. I want you to order my steps. I want your voice to speak clearly to me. God, have your way in my life today. My God. 
Lord, let your will be done on earth. Why do we got to pray that? I, I remember I first read that and said, why is he asking them to pray that? God's will is always done. But I found out God's will is not always done. His intentions and his desires and his promises are fulfilled when God's people appropriate those intentions and his will and his promises by saying, God, let it be done. God, we open up the door right now. Today, I want you to know again, hallelujah, that we need a miracle. I want you to know again that we're believing you and trusting you to step in and make a difference on our behalf. That's why we got to be praying for this building project. That's why we got to be praying for the families and the marriages of our church. Because sin starts to tear it apart. The devil starts making a mess. Somebody says, God, why don't you make a difference? He says, let me at it. My intention, my will, my purpose, and my desire is to bless. But you got to open the door for me. Hallelujah. That's why he told the apostles. When he, when he told Peter, he said, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. And whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I'm giving you the keys, the gospel message, the power of prayer and through truth uh, to bind and to loose. Uh, and whatever you do on earth, I'm going to put a seal on it in the heavens. Uh, whatever I say must be loosed and released and set free. When you say release blessings uh, through the power of God, God, I'm asking you to release blessings uh, into my life. God, I'm asking you to release a, a purpose and direction to my life. Then God will release it. But it's not until you release it and it's not until you bind up the spirit through the power of prayer that in the heavenlies or in the spirit realm God says I can work now because the earth is given into the hands of man and through the power of prayer and petitioning God and being familiar and sensitive to God we are enabled amen to empower things to happen come on if you bind it on earth he'll bind it in heaven if you loose it on earth he'll loose it in heaven you're sitting back saying, God, do whatever you want to do. God's sitting back saying, tell me what to do. Give me rites of passage. Say, let your will be done in my life. Open up the pathway so I can step in and pour out manifold blessings. Just so you get it, let me press the point a little more right now. Ezekiel chapter 36. If you read the book of Ezekiel chapter 36, you discover that God's people were in a fix. They were in a pickle. They had some problems because of idolatry and disobedience to God. The same old roller coaster story. They lost out with Jehovah. They were dispersed. They were taken from their land, brought into captivity. And now their villages didn't have anybody in them. They were ghost towns. And in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse after verse after verse after verse after verse, God says, I'm going to give it back to you. It's my will. It's my promises. Verse 10, I will multiply men upon you and the city shall be inhabited and the waste shall be building. I have good intentions for you. Verse 11, I will multiply upon your man and beast and they shall increase and bring fruit and I will settle you after your old estates and will do better unto you than at your beginnings and ye shall know that I am the Lord. God's saying, I got good intentions for you. 
You may be in a bad place now. You may be dispersed house of Israel now. Your cities may be empty and your buildings may be destroyed. But I've got good intentions for you. Verse 24. For I will take you from the heathen and gather you out of all the countries and will bring you back into your own land. I'm going to put people back in your cities again. I'm going to put your families together. I'm going to put your communities back together. Verse 25. I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you. You'll be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. I'm going to put a new heart in you, a new spirit in you. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and my judgments and do them. And ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. My intentions are good for you. I want you to understand that God's intentions are good for you. You say, how you know? Because you're breathing. Because you're alive. And God has good intentions for you. The Bible says it this way. I have not seen, nor the e hear, or ear heard, nor hath it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. God has good intentions for you. God has favor. God has blessings. God has provision. I'm telling you right now, God's about to turn it around in some of your lives. You've been struggling. You've been pushing. You've been wondering, where's the answer coming from? And the answer's coming. God's got good intentions for you. His word is full of promises that relate to you and your family and your future and your destiny. God has good intentions for you. Praise God. Woo. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Dispersed, you've been destroyed, you've been beat down. Things have been rough. But my will, I will bring you back together. I will cleanse you. I will wash away the filthiness of your sin and the idolatry that got you off track in the first place. I'm going to bring it back to you. My intentions are good for you. But look at verse 36. Same chapter, verse 36. The reason is so that the heathen that are left around about you shall know that I, the Lord, built the ruined places and plant that which was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it and I will do it. His intentions are good. Come on, somebody. His intentions are good. He says, I will do it. But let's see what the next verse says. 37. I will do it. Thus saith the Lord God, I will yet for this be inquired of by the house of Israel to do it for them. I will increase them with men like a flock. What in the world does that mean? Let me read the New Living Translation of that verse. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I am ready to hear Israel's prayers and to increase their numbers like a, like a flock. He's saying, I'm going to do all this, but what I'm doing is I'm waiting. Pull that up again. I am waiting to be entreated. I am waiting to be inquired of. I am waiting to be asked by the house of Israel. My intentions are good. I told you I will do it, but I am waiting for this. I will be inquired of by the house of Israel to do it for them. Amen. Because on the earth, God's will being done requires that we cry out to him. I'm telling you, there is a purpose to your prayer. Your prayer is not just something that you need to do or an exercise 
size that is valuable for drawing you close to God. That is true. But on top of that, great things are done. Great things are released. God's will is accomplished in your life. He's got good intentions for you. He's got packages waiting in heaven for you. But He wants you to learn how to draw close to Him and walk with Him and talk with Him and inquire of Him and request of Him and draw close to Him. If you believe the Word of the Lord, clap your hands right now. Oh, come on, praise Him with me right now. Praise Him with me right now. That's why the Bible says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. What does availeth mean? That's just fancy old-fashioned King James archaic English for making it available. Making it available. The verse doesn't say, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man createth much, but it availeth much. What it does is it makes available what's already created. What God already has intended for you. My God, what God already has prepared for your future. What God already has set out in terms of destiny for your life. When you learn how to pray effectively, when you learn how to pray fervently, what is already prepared is made available to you. There are things that are made available, supernatural, powerful things that are made available through prayer. And I promise you that we get about 25, 30, 45 people in life church that know how to walk with God in intimacy, that know how to recognize Him like the little boy recognize the jade when we get a group of people that know how to walk in intimacy and closeness with God things are going to happen God's will is going to be done God's will isn't done because I preach good God's will isn't done because you sing good God's will is done because people know how to give Him domain in our life in our midst through prayer hallelujah clap your hands and praise Him right now What are effective prayers? Effective prayers are prayers that are prayed in faith. When we pray to God, it's not just punching a time clock. It's not just fulfilling the obligation of I'm putting in my 10 minutes or 20 minutes, 30 minutes today. I'm putting in my hour today. It's speaking in faith. Faith in God, believing that His will is going to be unfolded in my life. See, I'm going to tell you right now that God has a will for this church. He's had a will for a long time. He's had a purpose and a destiny and an open door that He has set before us. Amen. All He's waiting on us is for us to make it available to us through the power of prayer. Amen. Through the power of prayer. I'm talking about the fundamentals. You may know how to slam dunk a basketball, but if you can't shoot, if you can't pass, if you can't dribble the ball, then you won't make it in the big leagues. Come on, somebody. You've got to learn the fundamentals somewhere. And Life Church, this church has got to be built on the wrong foundation because the devil would love to see our foundation crack and fissure and us to try to build something beautiful and elaborate on shifting sand or on a shaky foundation. Your life is the truth. is the same thing as true in your life. God has a beautiful purpose. But if I work on education, if I work on advancing myself and I build it on a foundation that's cracked and fissure, I can never be what God intended to me to be or I may become part of that and then crumble to the sand because the fundamental foundation of my life and your life is learning how to pray. 
learning how to walk with God. I'm telling you right now. This is why I get concerned about our foundation when our prayer service on Wednesday night is the least attended service that we have at Life Church. Some of you don't even think or even consider coming. Don't even consider coming to spend time alone with the Lord together in prayer. Some of you don't have a place in your house where you pray. I mean, I got so many other more important things. This is what I'm talking about. We have lost context of what prayer does to the difference that's made through prayer. I'm talking about when the power of God begins to move because people have been praying. Nobody's playing on any instruments. Nobody's screaming in the microphone and all of a sudden the Spirit of God comes into the house and sinners that are sitting in the seats uh, begin to quiver and shake under the power of God. Come on, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about old-fashioned prayer that happens in faith. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Prayer that makes a difference. It's prayer that's offered in faith. Some people think that faith is simply just believing that what you're praying is going to be done. Getting that settled in your spirit. Well, there's an element of truth. A greater truth is prayer with faith means praying, believing that God is hearing and that believing that God's will is being un- unleashed and released through prayer. And I may not even understand what God's will is. And my will may be different than God's will is. But true faith is trusting God. Amen? Even though what I want doesn't happen. Come on. Even though what I've been asking for specifically doesn't take place, I still believe God because I believe that through prayer, God's will is being unfolded in my life. Uh, And someday I'll understand it. Uh, Maybe if I don't understand it on this world, I'll understand it better by and by. But I do believe and trust uh, that God's will is being done in my life. The Bible says in 1 Samuel that Hannah was praying for a child. God, give me a baby. I want a baby. My life's worth nothing unless I have a baby. She was crying out to God. And then when she left the, ta- ta- uh, the temple or the tabernacle, in 1 Samuel, put the verse up here. It says, when she left, said, let thine handmaiden find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. See, this is faith. When you pray, and then you trust God. You don't stress about it. But you keep praying. But it's not a prayer of stress and anguish. It's a prayer of, okay, I can smile. Even though I don't understand what's happening, I can smile. Even though I don't know how it's going to come out, I can smile. Even though I see no evidence that God is working on my behalf, because I believe that by prayer I am releasing God's will to be done in my life. That's what prayer with faith is all about. Prayer with faith is all about believing that God's able to do all things. Amen. That our God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That nothing is impossible to my God and to your God. But I'm trusting that His will is being done in my life. Come on, some of you remember when you were, remember some of you, you, you were dating and you said, God, make her fall in love with me. Make this relationship work. And Garth Brooks said it best. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Because he doesn't do according to our will, but he does according to his will. And in the long run, we're like, thank you, Jesus. That you had wisdom not to just answer me at my point of desire at that point in my life, but to recognize and to realize and to help me finally to realize that my prayer worked, but it was God's will that was being done and not my will because I prayed in faith. I'm talking about prayer that makes a difference. I'm talking about prayer that unleashes blessings. I'm talking about prayer that gives you what's good for you in your life. Tap your hands and praise the Lord right now. 
Effectual prayer is prayer that is offered in faith. Fervent prayer. The Bible says effectual, fervent prayer makes available. Effectual means offered in faith. Fervent means there's a spirit of travail. There's a sense of making a request of God with so much passion that it turns to intercession. The Bible says, who's going to weep between the porch and the altar? Who's going to weep over their city? Revival comes not through flash and program, but revival comes because people learn to intercede. How do you know this, Pastor? The Bible says when Zion travails, then children are born. Then revival happens. It's similar to a woman going through labor pains. This is what fervent or intercessory prayer is about. It's not about just a little kind of flash in the pan, happy, clappy, sweet little cool thing that we do with complete control. It's about letting the Spirit of God pray through us. Because, see, sometimes we know that we need to pray, but we don't know what to pray for. We don't know what to mouth and what to speak. And the Bible says in Romans, sometimes the Spirit prayeth through us or for us with utter groanings that cannot be uttered. This is intercessory prayer, where we come under the burden of prayer and let the power of the Holy Spirit pray through us. I'm asking Life Church, I'm asking God to let Life Church be reborn into a spirit of intercessory prayer where we learn how to take hold of God's burden. Come on. I remember the first time when I was a young man, 17, 18 years of age, when a spirit of intercessory prayer came upon me all by myself in a prayer room, nobody around. And I was going through my prayer and I was praying and I began to pray in tongues as the spirit gave the utterance. I felt myself getting close to God and then all of a sudden something took over me and it was, oh God, oh, and I didn't know with my mind what I was praying for. And I wasn't conscious, but I knew there was a work of the Spirit being done. I knew something was being bound up that needed to be bound up. I knew something was being released that needed to be released because I made myself available that the Spirit could pray through me and God's will could be done through me even though I didn't know what God's will was. That's what intercessory prayer is. Intercessory prayer is a prayer with fervency. Where God's perfect will can be done in my life. Where God's perfect will can be done in my church. And I may be sitting in Pasadena, but God's perfect will is being done in an African nation because somebody is travailing. God's perfect will is being done in a flop house or a drug house in town. Somebody's about to get delivered from crack cocaine because I'm letting the Spirit pray through me. A spirit of intercession, when it gets a hold of a church, can turn a city upside down. Give us Jesus. Forgive us for abandoning the fundamentals. Forgive us for trusting the arm of flesh. In closing, I want to read a letter I read this week that just blew me away. It's a letter that a man that I know penned. A letter written in personal format to this person called intercessory. 
The letter says, intercessory prayer, we miss you. This is just a line to let you know how things have been since you're gone. It's not the same without you, intercessory prayer, nor will it ever be. Although our lives seem shallow and empty when you're not here, we've learned how to make up for you in other ways. We've learned how to live without you. We now leap for joy, jig to the music, sing catchy courses, and tap our feet in time to the rhythm of the drums. We use sticks and banners, black lights, and do our sign teams do a tremendous job acting out recorded music. We've learned to worship without you, intercessory prayer. The prayer rooms are mostly silent now. Those who do go there, for the most part, come away dry-eyed. A lot of praying now is chanting and sing-song style. That's how we know we're in the groove. We pray memorized phrases that come automatically. We love what we call prayer walks. Most of us don't even close our eyes anymore during prayer. We just walk and pray while we look around. We pray because it's required. No one prays until they break through anymore. We just pray until our 10 minutes are up. Family altars are almost unheard of now, intercessory prayer. You can't imagine how busy we are and how hectic our schedules have been. It's unbelievable. We get up in the morning and never stop till we go to bed at night. We do try to make it to church most services and get some praying in there during the service, but prayer at home is kind of out of the question. That may be another reason you haven't heard from us lately. Oh, sure, we still believe in prayer as such, but not very many of us are anxious for you to come back. You were always the polite type, you know, never forcing yourself on anyone. You never came uninvited, intercessory prayer. You left only because you were ignored. The sad truth is you're not really needed anymore. You see, most of us have hospitalization insurance now. Sure takes away that old desperate feeling we used to have. So now there's no need to pray more than a few minutes it takes to drive to the emergency room. Also, we don't have to ask for our daily bread like we used to. We now have better jobs with good benefits and government programs to fall back on. If we lose our job, there's always unemployment or welfare. If we retire, become disabled, Social Security now supplies our needs so you can see we're doing okay. Other things have filled the void in your absence. Sure, intercessory prayer, we miss you. But we're getting over it somehow. Actually, we're too busy to entertain you right now, even if you tried to come back. I hope you understand. We're having revivals now without you, and it's not too hard. The pastor prays and fasts along with a couple of others. Most of us try to get to church in time for the first song or two, if we're lucky. We justify the fact that the number of new converts is down. Yes, there seems to be a diminished conviction, less lasting victory, and fewer miracles, and many young people are backsliding. We agree, however, that we are not at fault here. It's just the times we're living in. It's like this everywhere. As your friend, intercessory prayer, I'm writing this to you knowing how much it must hurt you to have folks say they miss you, and yet in their material and intellectual progress, they've weaned themselves from the haunting memory of you. What hurts, I know, is that we were children you personally raised. You were always there when we needed you, but now we don't. You taught us about faith. You taught us about miracles. You taught us about a move of God. You taught us about revival. You taught us how to touch God. Thank you for that. But you see, this is a new day, and we're trying to go to the next level. Our services are structured differently now. Do you know that now when you're mentioned in church, everybody gets kind of quiet? They all feel guilty, I'm sure. It's like they experience a momentary twinge of guilt while they consider their part in your disappearance. Once in a while, some even get misty-eyed when we talk about the old times you shared with us. 
But all that feeling vanishes along with the pizza right after church. No intercessory prayer. Your coming back really wouldn't work right now. We're too blessed. We're doing too well. We're comfortable. In your day, you served your purpose, but the sentiment of most today is that we can manage okay without you. We've got better clothes, cars, homes, prettier and bigger churches than ever. By the way, do you remember all the folks of yesteryear coming into the sanctuary with their red-rimmed eyes and the baggy-looking knees on the men's suits from prayer? Remember all-night prayer meetings? Remember the depth that was in the worship? Remember when sinners couldn't sit in their pews any longer and would run to the altar? Remember when you could feel unity and brotherly love when folks helped bear one another's burdens when the saints didn't watch the clock when they could hardly wait to enjoy the after-service atmosphere praying around the altar until the wee hours of the morning? Man, those were the good old days and we call that old school. It's pretty much all gone now, but you ought to see our new organ. It's a Hammond C3. Our new drum set with a cage and everything. Electric bass guitars are just awesome. And the electric guitars too. We use praise singers to help cover up the fact that our congregation don't sing like they used to. We let them do most of the worship for us. Uh, our choirs just do terrific with the new style songs. Old, old saints don't like the new songs much, but the younger crowd seems to, to like them. You would be proud of our church building, carpet on the floors. There are pews now instead of benches, and they're padded. Arched beams are beautiful. We have lovely and chandeliers. Our preacher has polished, too. He doesn't preach long. Ha ha. We are more concerned now about sermon length than content. Our pastor spices up his sermon with cute sayings, but I guess that's progress for you. Win some, lose some. Speaking of lose some, we're losing a surprising percentage of young people. An unbelievable number of marriages have gone on the rocks. Many lives have been in jeopardy. That's to be expected, I guess. Teenagers seem to be at war with their parents and want to dress more and more like the kids at public school. Our youth meetings may not have much in the way of prayers, but they have great icebreakers, skits, and games. We have plenty of medicines nowadays to help our aches and pains. What more could we ask for? Sure, we miss you, but I guess we really don't need you right now. I hope you're not offended. I don't mean for you to be. You'll always have a special place in my memory. You were kind and generous to me. You sure got me out of some hard times. I can't thank you enough. Still, this is a generation now that doesn't know you at all. Your coming would probably scare them. Remember the night when my mother sat at the piano bench and you joined her there? Remember how she wept and groaned in the spirit and slumped to the floor during the revival service and how some tried to call the ambulance because they thought she was sick? That's what I mean. A good many never got to know you very well, and most never knew you at all. Those that knew you personally have waited so long to talk to you that they are now, to say the least, embarrassed. So while we're trying to work out our feelings about you and see where you might fit into our plans in the future, you might try your luck someplace else, maybe in Brazil or Ethiopia. How about the Philippines? You might have better luck in third world countries. You might even luck out and find someone to talk to you in some little storefront on the other side of the tracks. Surely someone somewhere needs you. We're terribly sorry, intercessory prayer. We miss you, but we really don't need you right now. Hallelujah. What God is going to do in our midst, the future and destiny of life, church, lies in the power of prayer and people that know how to pray effectively and fervent to pray with faith to let a spirit of intercession come upon see 
the next 40 days, we're going to be focused. Focused on prayer. Focused on fasting, which helps us defeat the flesh. Flesh that keeps us from doing what we want to do. I'm here to tell you, I'm here to try to stir up within you what God has put there. That hunger and that desire to please God. And to do what will make a difference in your life. Hallelujah. I wonder if we could stand up. Draw me near, near, nearer, precious Lord, to the cross where Thou hast died. Draw me nearer, 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 precious Lord to thy precious bleeding son draw me nearer nearer blessed Lord to the cross where thou hast died draw me nearer nearer precious lord to thy precious bleeding side I am thine, O Lord. I have heard thy voice, and it told thy love to me. But I long to rise in the arms of faith and be closer drawn. To thee, come on, sing it. Uh, draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer, nearer. Nearer, blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding side. Hallelujah. Why don't we come forward just for a moment right now as a church family? Let's gather in. Come on, right right here around me. Would you gather in with me right now? We're going to pray for a few moments together. We're going to ask the Lord to help us. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. That's it. Thank you for being with us. Hallelujah. 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 Jesus, I want to be close to you. Hallelujah. I want to be close to you.
Come on, let's gather in close right now. Hallelujah. Amen. As it's appropriate, I want you to reach over and just connect, link up with a brother or sister right now. You know, grab their hand or, or put your hand on their shoulder in the name of Jesus. God, we repent right now, first of all. Jesus, we, we got distracted, Lord, and life took our focus away from us, Jesus. God, we not just here on a guilt trip, God, but we're here believing, Jesus, that something's going to change. That this discipline, Lord God, time spent with you, Jesus, hallelujah, is going to become a reality in our lives again. Lord, I want to be close to you, Jesus. I want to feel the close, tender touch of your spirit, Lord, again. I want to know your voice, Jesus. Be sensitive to it. God, I pray for my brother right now, Lord, because we're in this together, Lord Jesus. Your will being done in life, church, is not just because there's one person that's praying, but because we become united together like they did in the book of Acts in one accord, one mind. <laughs> oh, God, restore the power. Jesus, let us draw close to you, Lord God. The power that comes through intimacy and knowing you. Oh, Release your anointing, Lord God. Release your anointing to heal, Lord God, and restore. Release your power to deliver, Lord God, in this house. Restore the joy of salvation, restore. Cast not away from your presence. Take not your spirit from us, Lord God. Shut up about Satayaka. 
Hallelujah. Come on. You can move right into a place that maybe you haven't been before. Come on. Just take a step further. I'm encouraging you right now to take that next step and, and, and abandon into the presence of the Lord, forgetting what's happening around you and what, what's going on. Let that spirit of intercession get a hold of you for a moment right now. Hallelujah. Come on. You feel close to him right now. God's cleansing. God's washing. God's restoring. God is healing right now in his presence. Hallelujah. Come on, this is where you have to push a little bit. You pray until something happens. Just push right now. 
Let's sit, reach over and pray for somebody right now. Come on, there's breakthrough, breakthrough here right now. There's breakthrough here right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, that's it, that's it, that's it. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Some of you may need to get together with your spouse right now. Hallelujah. Take hold of that person. Uh, pray together right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. God, I pray for our young people. Hallelujah. Give them a taste right now, Lord God, of what it means. Give them a taste, Lord Jesus, these next few weeks of what it means to step into a spirit of intercession. Come on, true intercessions about yielding and surrendering yourself to the Lord. God can begin to speak and give direction to you. Come on, God can begin to straighten up my priorities. Turn it around. Put it back in order for me, Lord God. Put it back in order for me. Oh, 
draw me close to you, Lord Jesus. Draw me close to you. Draw me close to you, Lord Jesus. I feel your presence. I feel you, Lord Jesus. I feel nearness with you, Lord God. Hallelujah, Lord. Es la pandele pira la corrotto sudore verra poturo na creven rusha trafa babosaya Hokondo babokoto yara la kotoro babushandra babosaya Come on, I'm talking about a secret place in God where no weapon formed against you will prosper. I'm talking about a secret place in His presence. Hallelujah, where the enemy can't get at you. Hallelujah, He tries to mess with your stuff, but He can't get at you. Hallelujah, because you're resting. Hallelujah, and that stronghold in the Spirit. Come on, I feel the power of the Holy Spirit. I feel the power of the Holy Spirit in this place right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Talk about the kind of power to release miracles. Jesus, release it. Hita babo koroshanda, release refreshing, release healing. Hita yababo kota babo sanda. Hallelujah! I speak healing to marriages. I speak healing, Lord God. I speak cleansing, Lord Jesus, in this atmosphere. I release washing and cleansing through Your Word, Lord God, through Your Holy Spirit.